Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened, he healed them, he encouraged them, he taught them. And that's where he found us, in the sketchy places you wouldn't take tu familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation, God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met. Good morning. Buenos dias. Uh, I'm Dale Huntington. I'm the lead pastor for City Life Church. Uh, we're a church plant. We've been in uh, this neighborhood for about three years now and four years in San Diego. And uh, I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, if you would open your Bibles uh, to Matthew 14, 22. We have Bibles available over there if you need one. Um, you can open your phone and get the Bible there, or you can pretend you're looking at your Bible on your phone as well. Um, buenos dias. Si necesita escuchar el sermon en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. Gracias. All right. Well, um, so when I was young, my mom told me that I could be good at anything I tried. Did anybody else have a parent like that that said, hey, you can do anything you want. You just put enough effort into it and you can do it. Um, so that's what my mom told me because, you know, it was the 80s. And during the 80s, we said, if, if, you, if you believe it, you can do it. That was kind of that 80s mantra. And so... Um, I thought I was a good surfer um, when I grew up, and uh, I thought that, you know, I could uh, surf any wave I wanted to. I thought I could do whatever I wanted to, and I could be good at it, and, and, and that applied to surfing as well. Now, let me tell you, um, I was not a good surfer. Um, actually, I'm a very bad surfer, but I do it anyway because I enjoy it. Um, it encourages me, and it's exercise when I don't know I'm exercising, and I can't tell when I'm sweating. So I, I love surfing, but I can tell you there was a time when I was about 16, 17 years old when I went to Ocean Beach, and uh, the, the waves were about 6 to 10 feet at the time. And, uh, you know, I was like, I can handle this. Um, I can handle this. You know, I, I got fourth place in a regional local surfing contest, so, you know, I can handle 6 to 10 foot waves. Fourth place out of, like, seven. Um, <laughs> but what happened was is sometimes when you go surfing, um, you're getting a storm from very far away, and the storm begins to grow and grow and grow. And before I knew it, I was sitting out there, and the waves were 12 to 15 feet. And uh, um, it's at that moment that I was like, yo, I'm not a good surfer. What am I doing out here? This is a little scary. And I can tell you that when the waves got to 12 to 15 feet, my goal was to get in to the land and kiss it as soon as I arrived. And I can tell you, over a series of events, I found the smallest wave I could find, which was probably somewhere close to 12 feet. And I tried to ride it in, and I got destroyed by it. 
and I ended up under the water for quite some time. My surfboard got detached from me, and it ended up on a big old jetty. And uh, I remember being out there trying to remember if I was a good swimmer or not, because I'd always relied upon my surfboard to help me. And I found myself swimming in, and I made it. And I can tell you that board was destroyed. It was broken in half, and the lifeguards had to go get their biggest boat to go out there and grab that board off the jetty um, for me. Um, it was when I was sitting out there looking at the waves that I realized how helpless I was. It was when I was sitting out there looking at the waves that I realized that, you know, I'm not really all that like my mom said I was. <laughs> and uh, today we're going to be talking about um, some people who saw some waves, some people who were overwhelmed by the waves around them and that they thought there was nothing they could do about it. And uh, they had probably a much more helpless feeling because there was no one around to save them at that point. There was no one around to help them at that point, or so they thought. And uh, that's where we're going to be today in Matthew 14, 22 through 32. If you don't know where that is in your Bible, it's okay to look at the front and, uh, and see, find out where Matthew is. It's the very beginning of the New Testament. Um, the reason why I encourage you to read the Bible um, when I'm preaching is so you know I'm not making it up. Um, any pastor who says you shouldn't be reading your Bible when they're preaching, they're going to preach to you something that is not in the Bible. So can I read to you now from Matthew 14, 22 through 32? Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves. Because the wind was against them, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. Yet he was walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Hey, Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, hey, command me to come out onto the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we just want to thank you that you are here right now. You have always been there for us in our biggest victories and our most bitter defeats. In our scariest pains, you have been there. God, we thank you that you've never left us. You've never forsaken us. God, this morning I want to lift up the families of the 50 human beings made in your image that were killed in New Zealand this week. Even though we believe quite different from those who were killed, we love them and ask your mercy on their families during this time. God, we pray for deliverance for our friends here this morning suffering from abuse, from addiction, and those who struggle with mental illness. Deliver us, O oh Lord. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Teach us, bless us, show us new things from your word. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today I have for you three points. And uh, the first point I'm going to get right into, it's three points from when the waves got too dang big. 
And our first point is this. Jesus needed powerful, uh, prayerful rest. You do too. Jesus needed prayerful rest. You do too. In verse 22, it said, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Now, you got to understand um, what was going on here. So, Jesus had a lot on his plate. I know a lot of people in here today are like, I work like six jobs. Jesus doesn't even know. But I will tell you that Jesus was overwhelmed at this moment. What, what had happened? Let me give you some history of what had just happened. So Jesus had a very close friend. Um, Jesus had a relative who was named John the Baptist. You might have heard of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had just been killed by the king. They had cut off his head, and they had surrendered it on a platter to him. This was Jesus' friend. This had just happened. So Jesus was mourning. He was struggling. He was hurting. Then, after that, Jesus went and preached to thousands and thousands of people. And when those people got hungry, he provided. He prayed, and God provided the food for thousands and thousands of people. And so you got to see that once he, he provided food, that those people would come to him for even more. Hey, Jesus, you hooked me up with some meal, a meal that came from nowhere. You took two fish sticks, and you fed thousands of people. Well, Jesus, could you heal me? And so you had, these, you had Jesus teaching people, you had Jesus healing people, you had Jesus feeding people, all the while he's grieving the loss of his friend. So how would he feel during that time, huh? I would think he would feel really, really, he would be almost depressed maybe, excuse me. He would be struggling during that time. And so here was Jesus struggling with some of the hardest things in his life, knowing that one day he would be going to the cross for us, enduring pain. And here's Jesus struggling. So, just had his buddy die, just fed 5,000 people. He was tired. He was tired emotionally. He was tired spiritually. He was tired physically. And what did he do? He went to pray. Jesus needed time with the Father. Jesus needed to be alone. Jesus needed prayer. Even Jesus needed to level up sometimes. Most likely, from what I've read, uh, Jesus finished praying between like 3 and 6 a.m. 3 and 6 a.m. I didn't even know that exists. I know when, like, like 5 a.m., that's like when I can get up, but I don't stay up to that late. Some of you guys stay up that late. But here's the thing. If prayer was this important to Jesus, if prayer was this important to Jesus, then shouldn't it be for us? Shouldn't it be for us? Here's the thing. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and this section here shows his human side. Jesus has fed 5,000 people with the two fish sticks and a loaf of Wonder Bread, and he needed rest now. Now, if Jesus needed rest, do you? The answer is yes. If Jesus needed to pray, do we? And the answer is yes. So many of us try to carry loads on our back that we just cannot carry. So many of us think if we just level up, if we just grind hard enough, if we just work hard enough for our families, if we just work seven more jobs, if we just do this, then maybe we can carry a burden for our family. And I will tell you that there is something to be said about giving that burden to God. And you can do that. Now, when we hear about people who grind, people who work hard, people who hit the pavement hard, people who, who do the impossible, the people I think of are athletes, all right? Now, when I think about athletes, and I think about my very favorite athletes, I think about, oh, they're going to be San Diego people, but I think about Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn would show up early, and he would hit the baseball in the batting cages really early in the morning. 
And then what would he do? After the game, he would be in the batting cages or he'd have someone throwing the ball to him. That's who Tony Gwynn was. Same thing with Drew Brees. Drew Brees, the quarterback for now the Saints. He would get up early and he would start throwing the ball. And he would work out. And then he would work out some more. And so we look up to these people and we say, they know how to work hard, don't they? Those are the people we should look up to. But let me tell you something. When we look up to those dudes, we don't understand how much they need to recover. We like our athletes and people we look up to to be superheroes, but I'll tell you they're not. They need to recuperate. Now, some of them use these like hyperbaric chambers that they get into when they rest there. Some of them use like compression gear to try and help them out. Some of them use cold water immersion where they get into a bath full of ice trying to recover. So many of the athletes you look up to are always, always, always recovering. But do you know what makes athletes the strongest besides training? Rest. There's a wide receiver named Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald um, has won Super Bowls. Like he knows what he's doing. He can catch any ball you throw at him. Um, and uh, he sleeps nine hours a night. And the night before a football game, he sleeps 11 hours a night. The fastest man on the planet is named Usain Bolt. He sleeps eight to 10 hours a night. LeBron James has been said that he often sleeps 12 hours a night. LeBron James sleeps 12 hours a night. And I think that maybe if he slept 13, he would be as good as Michael Jordan. But, you know, um, that, that's always going to divide the room, right? Um, but, for real, but, but for real, scientists have shown that if you add hours to your sleep in the evening, not in the morning, um, you will be more productive the rest of the day. This is what scientists have shown. But so here's the, here's the interesting th thing, though. God says that rest is important. And this is what we're talking about today. You don't need LeBron James to know that rest is important. Let me remind you, in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it said, the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. So God had just done all the heavy lifting to create the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, God had completed his work so that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So God himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth, rested. So you people here, so me, I need rest. You need rest. And my wife will tell me, hey, if you're skipping lunch to do work, you're not resting. That's what she tells me all the time. I don't know if anybody else has that problem, but sometimes I do that. Now, Jesus didn't just rest though, did he? Jesus didn't just like sleep right? Because this whole story is about how he didn't sleep, right? Um, Jesus doesn't just take a day off. He rests in God. Biblical rest is often activity. In this case, Jesus skipped sleep for restful prayer. Now, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? It's, it kind of takes me, uh, it kind of makes me confused. Now, um, I just read this book, and uh, it's by this guy named Eugene Peterson. I'm going to get in trouble for this. You can email me if you don't like it. Um, one of the things that he says in his book is he says, taking a day off is bastard Sabbath. Ooh, what does that mean? It means just taking a day off and just going to the movies and not spending any time with the Lord and letting him recuperate you, instead letting Captain Marvel recuperate you is not going to do what you need to do. So sometimes our rest has to be spiritual, friends. And when I say sometimes, I mean like once a week, you should really take a spiritual rest. Well, hey, and let me say, that's hard to do, okay? 
That's hard to do. And as the pastor standing up here, let me tell you, that's hard for me. That's hard for me. So if you work for your family but never see them, consider ways you can make a change. And let me just say this. I understand you have to provide. I understand you have to provide. Consider ways, though, that you can do biblical rest with them. Make worship a part of your rest. Find times to worship God. And if, if you have another church, if this is not your church and you want to go to a church, I encourage you to go and be with your church for worship on Sundays. And, and I know it's hard. And I know it's hard. I'm just encouraging you, saying it's a good thing. And what if, in your goals for what you do in your lifetime, you considered ways you can get there? Maybe your job won't allow it now, but what if your mind is open to the next job that will have Sundays off? We'll have a time where you can rest. So when we rest, it's easier to see God. And it's easier to see God when he's there in the struggle, isn't it? So we have our second point today for when the waves get too darn big. And it's our fears are real, but so is God. Our fears are real, but so is God. In verse 24, it said, Meanwhile, the boat was already some distant from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Isn't it funny that the people who followed Jesus were still so concerned about ghosts? It's, it's funny to me. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. He said, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So what is this? I, I got to draw attention to the it is I that Jesus says. Like, that's kind of crazy, right? It is I. It, it evokes another statement that is made in the Bible as well that's worth noting. In Exodus 3, 13 through 16, God calls himself, I am. That's like, I've always existed. I've always been there. I'll always be there. This is who I am. Let me read to you from Exodus 3, 13 through 16. Let me set it up a little bit for you. Moses had just seen what we call the burning bush. This is when God is speaking to Moses and saying, hey, I need your help. I mean, I don't need your help, but I want to use you. To Moses, that's what he is saying. And, and Moses asks, who the heck are you? Who, who's talking to me right now? Let me read that to you. Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. That sounds like Popeye, right? This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to, remembered, to be remembered in every generation. So here God is saying, yo, I was, I is, and I is to come, right? God is saying, I, I was, I am, and I am to come. There it is. That's better language. Um, God is saying, I've always existed, and so my name doesn't change. My, my love doesn't change. My compassion doesn't change. Who I am doesn't change. That is what God is saying here. He is saying, don't fear, God is here. And so if his name doesn't change and Jesus is God, he's out there walking on the water. I don't know, he's probably not doing that, but he's out there walking on, the wa walking on the water and he is saying, I am. Don't be afraid of this because I am and I was. I'm always here and I'll always be here. And that's what he's saying to them. Never fear, God is here, I am. So now this would have never been necessary though if Jesus was just with them the whole time. Like, you know, you kind of read this and you're like, Jesus, why didn't you just stay with them so that they would be safe, right? It's interesting me, to me that Jesus wanted them to row the boat without them. 
Do you ever think about that? The father must have let him know in prayer that something was going to happen. And it was going to be necessary for their faith to increase for Jesus to come join them. So, do you ever want to ask God why he makes it so dang hard sometimes? Like, couldn't he have called down angels? Like, had a few of them hold on to the side of the boat? He could have done that, put the angels in the side of the boat, in the water, get their little wings going. You have like a little motorboat. You get across real fast. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, here's some oars. See you on the other side. He left them to their own devices. Hey, get across, get across there. And then what happened? A storm came. A crazy storm came. And so sometimes, though, it has to get dark for us to see the light, though, doesn't it? Sometimes God gives you an oar and says, go row down the lake and I'll be with you. And sometimes you just got to trust him. You just got to trust him in that. Sometimes it has to get real stormy before you look for help, doesn't it? If you were always healthy, let me ask you, do you think you would really trust him more? Or do you think maybe that we would just trust in our health? I think that's what it is. How about this? If you always had money, do you think you would go to God asking for help? No, you would say, hey, I got the money. I'm going to trust in my money. How about this? How about your health? Do you ever trust in your health knowing that tomorrow you're going to do something and you have all this faith in yourself and in your health tomorrow knowing that you can do something? Hey, now I'm talking to some of us that work the extra jobs, right? We're just trusting ourselves that we'll be healthy tomorrow. But yo, that flu knocked me out for like two weeks. And sometimes that can happen to you too. And it's in those moments that we look up at God and go, huh, maybe I'm not all that that I thought I was. Maybe I'm not. I thought that I could do all this for my family, and here is something that happened to me, and I can't do anything. I can't help anyone. And that, my friends, is when you look up and you see God. So, in James 1, 2 through 4, it says this. It says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Now, I know some of us, when we're in those trials and someone says that to me, I just want to smack them. Like, don't talk to me about considering this joy. I'm struggling right now. But it's good that we can read the Bible to each other and encourage each other. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Our trials show how big our God is. Our trials show how big our God is. So if God is so cute to you, though, and he gets just a tiny bit of your thought when it matters to you a little bit, I'm sad for you. Because when your trials get big, you're not going to be able to look to him. You're going to have this tiny God. He's no bigger than an ant. If you just trust him when, when, like, when, when you go on church to Sunday, like that's not a big God. A big God is one who is with you all the time, who is with you in your struggles, who is with you in your victories. Now, Pastor Dean and Sarah, he says this. He says what it looks like when we worship a little God. He talks about, quote, Americans who get goosebumps singing God Bless America baseball games. He says, but it doesn't change anything besides feelings in that moment. He says this, and quote, this God they are singing of, however, functions more like a national mascot than a God who demands our faith and repentance, unquote. Don't let God be a mascot. Don't let God be small. Remind yourself daily how big he is. That's what I got to do. Now, Zambian pastor Joe Capolo, he says this. He says this about the disciples. He said, they should have known that he who fed the thousands could walk on the water through a storm and rescue them. They should have known. And I bet there's many times that someone could maybe look at our lives and say the same dang thing. Sometimes we focus on the storm and we forget who's in charge of it. Sometimes we focus on the beautiful water 
sometimes we think we're in charge of it. And that is why sometimes God will send us a storm, right? But once they saw Jesus coming, moonwalking on water, they saw that God was present with them, the God who has always existed and always will. And that brings us to our third and final point, that Jesus can save you even when you doubt. This was a point we had last week. It's going to be a point we probably have next week too. (laughs) Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith. Hey, why did you doubt? Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter is an awesome dude, and he's a dude that struggles a lot. And I don't know about you guys, but I identify with Peter. I connect with Peter. This dude is all over the place. Doesn't he remind you of you a little bit? Anybody? He's on fire for Jesus. Like we're on fire for Jesus and then we get out of bed and we stub our toe and we're like, God, where were you? (laughs) That's how Peter is. Now Indian pastor Brian Wintle says this about Peter. He calls him enthusiastic but unreliable. (laughs) Enthusiastic but unreliable. Does that describe us? Come on. It describes us. We get excited about God, and then we look up at the waves around us. We see what we are up against, and we get scared. We get excited about Jesus doing something amazing, and then we run back to old sins, don't we? We forget how big our God is. We forget that he is who was and is and is to come. 2 Corinthians, though, 11.30-31 says, If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows. I'm not lying. It doesn't matter how weak you are, friends. It doesn't matter how weak you are. What matters is how strong your God is. It doesn't matter how weak you are. It matters how strong your God is. Now, Psalm 93, 3 through 4. I'm a surfer, so I know this one because it's about the waves. I actually got this tattooed right here, Psalm 93, uh, 3. It says this. The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. He's bigger than our waves, which is real good when you're a 17-year-old trying to surf 12 to 15-foot waves and you're a real bad surfer. But it's also real good when you've lost a job. It's also real good when you're struggling with your family. It's also real good when you can't seem to find any help. It's also real good when the addiction is coming back again and again and again, pounding at your door, asking to be let in. That same God who overcomes the wave is present in your struggle. Your God is greater than the waves of the sea. He's greater than the storms of your life, but you have to cry out to him. If you want him to save you, you have to go, Lord, help me, I'm sinking. And I know some of us are sinking right now, and you're saying, hey, hey, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, a man up or woman man up, and I'm just gonna take care of this. I'm just gonna take care of this, I'm just gonna do it, I'm just gonna fight through, I'm gonna grind, I'm gonna make it happen. And God is saying to you, yo, I'm here right now, why don't you let me help? Why don't you let me pull burdens off your shoulders? And this is why the gospel is so amazing. What is the gospel? The gospel very simply is this. The gospel is infinitely complex, but it's also very simple. 
Today I'm just going to say the simple side of it, and it is this, that God himself sent his son to this earth, and his son was God. Very simple, right? God came to this earth, left the perfection of heaven because he loved you, because he loved me, and because he desired to save you and have relationship with you. But he didn't just come to this earth. He didn't just leave perfection and come down to here where he could have the flu, which, you know, we all know the flu is bad, where he could stub his toe, where he could hurt himself, where he could have disease, where people would talk smack about him. He came to this earth in love for you and lived it perfectly with the same bones and flesh that you and I had. Jesus lived this life as a sacrifice for me and you. Oh, man, that is good news. You know what the gospel means? Good news. And in that good news, he died on the cross for your sins and mine. But then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death. And when he rose again from death, he said, it's finished. Death, that's done. When you die, it's not over anymore. When you sin, it's not over anymore. Our sin separates us from God, but Jesus himself died for you so that you wouldn't have to be separated from God. This is the good news that we proclaim. Friends, this is why we go door to door with our little flyers. This is why we knock on your door. This is why we make an idiot of ourselves giving you flyers on the corner of the street because we love you and we have been loved by God so much that we want you to know how much he loves you because he's so good. Let me close with this. In verse 32, it said, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly you are the son of God. But Jesus didn't do all this stuff so we would say, ah, he's kind of neat. He's kind of cool. Jesus didn't do all this stuff. He didn't feed the 5,000. He didn't heal the blind. He didn't heal the rep- lepers. He didn't raise people from the dead so we could say, he's great, but he's not really needing to be involved in our lives. He did this because he loved you and wants you to be in his family. The Bible says we were his enemies. And now through the, through the cross of Jesus, we get to be his family. Yo, so we weren't even entering through the back door. We were on the other side of the gate. And Jesus opens the front door and says, come in, family. And you know what's even cooler is in the ancient times when women were mistreated, he called you heirs. What is an heir? An heir is someone who receives the inheritance of the father. And he says to the women, hey, you're an heir. You receive the blessing that the family receives. And that's good news. He's bigger than our struggles. But he's not just a dude that said some good sayings. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a dude you could have a beer with or a non-alcoholic O'Doul's or whatever. He's bigger than that. And if you understand that, when your storm comes, you'll be happy to know him. Jesus is God, and he wants us to follow him and be in his family. And he wants us to stop doubting. But he'll still receive us when we do. And let me tell you, I just want to tell you a quick story about when I was doubting uh, recently. We'll just call it, you know, this week, because it was... This week, um, we tried to help out a mama in our, in our church family, and we tried to help her get a car that worked. And I will tell you, um, I didn't know how we were going to do it. So we towed her car. It was kind of expensive to tow her car. And then um, someone donated money for her car to get fixed, which had been sitting for a year. But the problem was it wasn't registered. So they fixed everything on the car, and they said, hey, it's illegal for us to drive this car until you get it registered. So she got it registered and went to pick it up. And they said, hey, we think we fixed everything, but we can't know until you drive it. So this mama spent her taxes, $500 to get this car working. And we spent a grip trying to help her get this car working. 
So taxes for her registration, $500. Kylie, California, come on. And then we spent the money that someone donated to help her car get working. And it was a victory. Oh, God is so good. And then she got to Imperial from Chula Vista, and her car started smoking. And then it caught on fire, and then it blew up. Now everybody was safe. They got out of the car. The firemen had to come and get the big hose and hose down the car until it was just a crispy car. Unusable. Tires melted. New tires we just bought melted. I could tell you that night, I had gone from up here to down here. And I had said, Lord, I thought we were doing this together. And, and I, I, my wife and I, we went to bed that night and we hugged and we prayed. Like, God, why did you do this? Why is this happening? What's with the storms? I thought this was going to be something good. One that's going to help you? And I went to bed that night. I couldn't sleep. I just felt the waves crashing against the side of our house. It was too hard. Like, gosh, dang it, we were going to help this lady. It's been so long since she's been able to drive. Next morning, I asked a few friends to pray. And about a half hour later, I got a call from the mechanic. And he said, uh, I, I'm not charging you anything for that car. All that money that you wanted to spend on her car, you give it to her for a registration back. I'm not charging you anything. And I hung up the phone, and I just thanked God. Oh, God, you're so good. What about an hour later, I had a friend stop by, a friend I hadn't talked to in about a month. And he said, hey, I, just, I really have to talk to you, Pastor. I'm like, all right, dude, come on over, come on by. He came to my house, knocked on the door, I came outside. He said, I woke up this morning praying. And I was praying and I was praying and I could not get you off my mind. And it wasn't one of those weird things. <laughs> and he was like, Pastor, um, the Lord put you on my mind and I don't know why, but I have this envelope with $500 in it and I don't know what it's for. I have an envelope with $500 and I don't know what it's for. The cost of her registration... And I'm like, Lord, why did I doubt? Jesus is like, hey, I got you. Now let me say this. If he didn't get me there, if we had to spend the money, he would still be good. He would still love us. But I can tell you in that moment, when I was looking up at the waves and I was like, I don't got this, he reached down a hand. He said, why did you doubt? But he still said, I got you. He still said, I got you. And what a good God he is. Isn't it good when that's a story from this week, right? <laughs> God was saying the whole time, I got you, son. I got you, son. So I'm going to close with a, with a quote um, from a hip-hop artist, Tadashi, and then we'll get on with this, okay? He says, walk on water like the son of man. Understand, I'll never drown. Take a hit and never quit. Might be down, but never out. There are days that I fail, and the train's off the rail. Through the pain, we prevail. Will you pray with me? God, you are so good to get us in the storms. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve anything. And yet you love us and care for us. God, why, why would you look down at us and say we're worth saving? But you did. So God, we just want to first come to you and say thank you. And God, I ask for anyone in this room 
that if you feel like you um, want to take his hand and you never have, or perhaps you have walked with him in the past, but you've been sinking and you need him to pick you up and you want to say to him, God, would you take my hand? Would you help me? Would you hook me up? I tell you, let him know now. And in this moment of silence, what we're going to do is we're going to confess our places where we have fallen short, the places where we have sinned against God. Silently, don't worry, you don't got to say it out loud. And we're going to bring those to him, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess him as Lord. So in this silent moment, please pray. God, you are so good. You're so good to forgive us. We don't, we don't earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn what you've done for us. And so we just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. And, and I want to confess that there's times that I look at the waves and I think you can't help me. And I want to confess that there's times when I look at the crystal clear flat water and I think I don't need you. I confess, Lord, and we confess there are times that we have taken you for granted or we have thought you were not big enough to help us but we know you have us. And we know that as far as the east is from the west, so is our sin from your sight. When you look at us, you see the goodness of your son, Jesus, and we say, yes, and thank you. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.